Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. Before we jump into today's message, I want to give one quick staffing update. As many of you may know, we are in the process of looking for uh, a new worship pastor, and so I just wanted you to know that over the next several weeks, maybe months, we're going to continue to have these great guest worship leaders come in and be part of our services, and as soon as there is an update to share, I am going to give it. In the meantime, we're just so grateful for the leadership of people like Scott Stein and our amazing worship leaders and volunteers. Can you say thank you? Amen. We are, we are blessed to continue to enjoy great worship just like we did again today, and so we are eternally grateful. I want to begin with the words of Jesus, and this is our memory verse. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing John 15, 5. Some of you are ready to go. I love that. So let's all stand together in reverence to God's word. And can we just say this together? If you don't know it yet, you can just read it from the screen. Say these words of Jesus with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, five, let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we are here and so are you. Lord, our greatest desire is to worship you in our marriages and to make you the priority of our life. May we remain in you, our source of life, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated if you would. Hey, today I am going to start off by saying something you would all agree with, and it is very obvious, and that is this. All of us at our core tend to be me-centered, self-centered. Like Ginger and I, my wife, we're privileged to have four great kids, but we didn't have to teach any of our kids the word mine, right? We didn't have to teach any of them to want stuff for themselves, right? And so the fascinating thing is that's not unique to kids. As adults, we're the same way. Like if we were to take a picture right now of everyone in this room as you sit right now, and we were to post it on that screen, who is the first person you would look for? (laughs) You, right? We want to make sure that I look good. Was I smiling? Was I blinking? How was my hair? What is everybody else seeing? And of course, they aren't ever going to see that because they're looking at them and wondering how their hair, right? It's, we are at our core. We are self-centered. We are me-focused. And here's the question that we want to start off with today is, how in the world, what does it look like to have a marriage that isn't me-centered, especially when we live in a me-centered world? So we're in the middle of this relationship series, and last week we talked about singles and how, complicating, how complicated dating is. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to that on the podcast. Today we're going to talk about marriage. Next week we're going to talk about responding to mean people. So I can't wait to see who you bring next week. And then... In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how do we restore broken relationships. Now, every week we have a focus like marriage today, but we want all of these principles to be applicable to everyone 
including today. We live in a me-centered culture, so what does a marriage that isn't me-centered even look like? That's what we're gonna consider today. Let me just be real honest with you. We are going to talk about some things today that are very counter-cultural. In fact, if you talk to your friends, if you go on social media and look at the influencers, if you listen to the music and the artists, the poets, the actresses and actors, you would hear a very different message. And I would contend, and I think you would too, that most of us, when we have these conversations, we see people having these conversations with their Bibles closed. And today, I just want us to have this conversation with our Bible open. And let's see what the creator of marriage has to say about marriage. Here's the really good news. The Bible opens with a marriage between Adam and Eve. It closes with a marriage between Jesus and his church. This is a story about marriage. But let me give a caveat. If you're new to church, if you're new here at LifePoint today, I will just tell you that what we're going to talk about today is considered by some to be a passage that is at times explosive. In fact, some people say this particular passage ought to have like a dynamite fuse hanging from it. And that's the way we sometimes see it. But we need to go there today. And so as I grab my little page marker here, I'll treat that like a fuse. And I'm going to open up where we're going to go. And I would invite you to join me with an open Bible as we consider what the creator of marriage has to say about marriage. Look with me in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to go to that chapter, Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible there in the pew. You can grab it, look in the table of contents, find the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look together at chapter five. And we're gonna to begin to, to really hopefully see what it looks like to have a marriage that isn't me-centered. Ephesians chapter five, beginning in verse 21, Paul writing this book says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ. We continue to see this double metaphor that's happening in this passage. It's Christ and the church and the head and the body to illustrate the husband and the wife. So he goes on to say, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, sometimes translations say as a splendorous church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become Say these next two words out loud with me. 
one flesh. Now say it again with me, one flesh. This is a profound mystery and all the married couples said, amen. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, he concludes, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. When I was a kid, I remember we would play this game called Zoom Out. And the idea was you would see this image that was so zoomed in that you were trying to guess what it was. And often they would zoom it out and then you could kind of make out what it was. So for example, you would see an image like this and you would go, I don't think I know exactly what that is. I feel like it might be like a 1970s shag carpet, right? And if it's 1970s shag carpet, I've got a lot of opinions on that, whether I like it or really hate it. Like if you have taste, of course you hate it. And so you look at that and you're thinking, this must be what it is, so I have an opinion on it. And then of course you zoom out and you discover that it isn't shag carpet at all. Instead, it's this sea turtle that had been over zoomed in, right? And you look at this and you say, well now this is beautiful, this is majestic, this is something that I can get behind. Ephesians 5 can often be very similar. When we zoom in, it can feel like 1970s shag carpet. <laughs> and we go, now what is this again? I have opinions on it one way or the other. But when we zoom out, I think we begin to appreciate something beautiful and majestic. We begin to appreciate the profound mystery. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to zoom out before we zoom back in. I want us to zoom out culturally and zoom out scripturally. First, we need to zoom out culturally. What in the world is going on here that Paul is talking about? And we look back, we're not in 2022 with all our perspectives and we see words like submission and head. But we look back all the way to the first century and we look at what was going on culturally there when they would have heard these same words. So as best we can, let's put on our first century sandals and let's envision going back to how these folks would have heard these words of Paul. One would have been that you would have seen someone be the head. There would have not been equal relationships at all, very authoritarian in their relationships. And we would have had someone who was the head. In that time, it would have been an empire, the head of an empire, someone like Caesar. Now, when someone was the head, like they would have been in the first century, they were loved and they were sacrificed for. Caesar simply was loved because might made right. If you were more powerful, then you had the right to be loved. If you were more powerful, you had the right to be the head. And it's in that culture where the head was revered and the head was loved and the head was um, sacrificed for that Paul comes and says the metaphorical head, the husband, is the one doing the sacrificing, is the one doing the loving. And this was a paradigm shift culturally as they heard Paul say, wait a minute, you're the one doing the loving. You're the one doing the sacrificing as the head. All of a sudden, everything was changing from the perspective of a first century audience. Culture reminds as we zoom out some of what Paul was trying to eject in. He was saying, if you're going to be a Christ follower and have a marriage, there is going to be some sacrificing and some loving. And this isn't about powering up in authority. 
This is about sacrificing and sacrificing like Christ did the church and laid his life down for her. And this is a new game changer. So as we zoom out, we also want to zoom out in scripture though and see what it is that Paul is talking about. In fact, if you look at verse 31, he's actually quoting in verse 31 all the way back to Genesis 2. You see where he says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Why is he emphasizing that? Because look, if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 2 and we look at verse 24, look what... Well, look what the very first wedding says. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become, say those two words with me, one flesh. From the very beginning, a marriage was seen to be an opportunity to become one flesh, one union. It was about this beautiful union. And Paul, when he's talking about marriage, after spending four chapters saying we need to be more connected with God and find him as our source of life, finally gets to husbands and wives in chapter five and says, our goal is unity. Our goal is to become one. And he points back to the original design of marriage where our goal was to become one. Now listen, and I hope you stay with me here because unity becomes a theme throughout the entire scripture all the way to the point where Jesus, God the Son, when he's on earth and he has his final prayer, he could have, and he's praying for saints and he's praying for Christians to come, and that's us in 2022 here at LifePoint. And when he prays for us, guess what? He doesn't pray for our uh, success. He doesn't pray for our faithfulness. He doesn't pray for our holiness. Instead, he prays for our unity. Because what Christ knows is what God originally established in marriage is that when there is unity, something powerful happens beyond our marriage when that is the ultimate goal. And I want you to see it. It's in his prayer, Jesus' final prayer. In John chapter 17, look at what Jesus had to say in that prayer. I have given them, this is Jesus praying to the Father, I have given them the glory that you, God, gave me. That they, this is us, we are the they, they may be one as we are one. May they be unified in the same way the Trinity is unified. I in them and you in me. And this is going back to when they remain in me and I in you. All right, this is our John 15, 5. So that they may be brought to complete, say that next word with me, unity. This is the heart of God. Then, why? Why is that so important? Then the world will know that you have sent me. When there's unity, why? Because we can be happier and we can have a peaceful home, sure, but it's much bigger than that. When we do, the world will know, God, that you sent me, Jesus, and have loved them even as you have loved me. This must be what Paul is partly talking about when he says it's a profound mystery. Our goal is not authority. Our goal is not roles or rights. Our goal is not my peacefulness, my happiness. It's even greater than my unity. The ultimate goal is that we have the kind of unity that allows us to effectively share Jesus. And it turns out that a good marriage isn't focused on authority. It's not focused on rights. It's focused on unity. Now, if you're single here today and and you haven't tuned me out already, if you're staying with me, let me ask you, is the ultimate goal 
To be married? Is the ultimate goal to be married? And the answer is no. The ultimate goal is to share Jesus. This is what Jesus himself said. Now, if you're married and you're with me, this is our question. Is our ultimate goal to have a great marriage? Now, if you're like me, that's certainly a goal, but it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal for us is to share Jesus, and a great marriage in unity allows us to more effectively share Jesus. Our marriage then becomes a tool. So if you're here and you're thinking, I have a good marriage, I get a pass this weekend, guess what? You're not done. You're not done until your marriage is being used as a tool for God so that you can share Jesus. This is our purpose. This is the profound mystery. Unity becomes the splendor through which we share Jesus. So here's the bottom line. If you have nothing else that I say, I hope you hear this. A unified marriage is a way to share Jesus in a me-centered world. A unified marriage is a way to share Jesus in a me-centered world. Because here's what we know. Christianity, it doesn't spread despite our differences. It actually spreads because of our differences. And unity is what God wants us to experience and to pursue within our relationships. Now, here's what that means. That means we've got to honor one another, doesn't it? It means I can't ask my spouse to shine their light on me all the time. I can't, I can't ask my spouse to lay down and I not be willing to lay down. And I gotta tell you a personal story of my own. A couple of years ago, Ginger, my wife, and I, we were driving around in the Bay Area where we were living at the time and, and I had one of my mentors with me and he had flown in and I was so excited just to have him in the car with us and we're having a conversation. And he stopped and interrupted me mid-sentence. And he said, Mark, do you realize you keep interrupting Ginger? And I wanted to say, well, you just interrupted me, but I didn't do that. <laughs> and then he said, is that normal for you? And I gotta tell you, I went through like this sequence of emotions. At first I was shocked because honestly, I hadn't noticed that I was interrupting her. And then, and then I was embarrassed because I wanted to impress this guy. And I felt like I had been caught with my hand in the cookie jar. And then if I'm honest, then I felt kind of defensive. And I, and I wanted to explain, well, no, no, no. I'm just kind of generally an impatient person, so I'm kind of bad about interrupting, as if a bigger character flaw made up for this one character flaw that he's pointed out, right? And he said, well, Mark, God has given her wisdom that you need to hear. And I think you need to learn to listen better. And then I felt sad because I could see in her eyes that he was right. And this is where it's that laying down for their splendor and to honor our spouses so that we can be one flesh, so that there can be true unity. And Paul, after saying all that, summarizes it with this one verse I want us to see again, and then we're going to get super practical. Look what he says in verse 33. He says, however, having said all that, each one of you husbands also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect 
her husband. Now, why the different commands here for the different roles? Does this mean that wives don't have to love their husbands or husbands respect their wives? And we know better than that because all throughout Scripture, we're told to love one another. We're told to admire and respect one another because we are all made in the image of God. Why the different roles? And I I believe one of the things Paul keeps teaching is this union, this unity. But he reveals here that there is a different key to our hearts. And this is where I want us to get very practical. Husbands, let's start with you. Bible teaches for us, the creator of marriage through the Holy Spirit reveals through the pen of Paul that we are to pour love into the hearts of our wife. That we are to pour love into the hearts of our wife. And so if you aren't a husband, this is gonna apply to you too. This is gonna be a way that we can take this principle. But I just wanna encourage you husbands, anytime you think anything good about your spouse, express it. Say it out loud, text them, call them, email, whatever you've gotta do. Anytime you think anything good, express it. And we must get better at non-sexual affection. And this means I think we need to master this sentence. I love you because I just thought something good and I can look at my wife Ginger and say I love you because you work hard for our family. I love you because you're generous to our kids. I love you because. Wives, the Bible says that we're to develop respect for our husbands. And I know you might be thinking, well, when he does something respectful, then I'll... Well, I know you weren't thinking that. He's always becoming what you say. He's becoming what you say. There is power in your words. It's the power of the tongue. Paul says there is life and death in our tongue. And wives, he's becoming. And if you say, well, he'll never, he may never. But you have the power in your words. Your words matter. And it turns out that God has designed husbands to receive incredibly strong hearts from the words that come from your mouth. And so I want to encourage you to master this sentence. I'm proud of you because... And every time you see him do anything you're proud of, you express it. Out loud, in a text, in an email, you call him, I'm proud of you because your words matter. I'll be personal, I'll just tell you that as a public speaker, one of the things that I'm insecure about like a lot of public speakers is public speaking. And I love when people give me a compliment but it doesn't impact me in the same way when Ginger encourages me. And she knows that, and so I've told her that she has become very intentional and consistent after every single message to give me words of encouragement. My kids can tell you, they, they know here, you know, mom's gonna, mom, we kind of know the rhythm, we kind of know the thing. She's gonna come up, she's gonna say things like, Mark, that was an absolute home run today. 
Mark, I think that was your best message yet. Mark, I, I, that just touched me so much. I, I really appreciated when you said, and then I'm good. I am good. Because encouragement from her mouth makes my heart strong. So today after the message, I don't care if any of you don't like it, as long as she tells me it's good, right? <laughs> and we husbands, our hearts will just swell with your words. Now, I've been debating over this next illustration and a couple of the staff know where I'm going with this and they're nervous too right now because we talked about this, should I use this illustration or not? And, and it was split, I'll just gonna tell you, because honestly, it's gross. But we also agreed it's helpful. And so, so I'm gonna go there, all right? There's this thing called the anglerfish. Any of y'all ever familiar with the anglerfish? The anglerfish is fascinating, I think, because when the male-female anglerfish mate, they literally melt into each other and they will share bodies forever. The deep sea being just so vast that when a male angler finds a female uh, anglerfish, he will latch on and fuse his body to her and he will lose his eyes and he will lose his internal organs. I know. I'm not making this stuff up. And eventually the two fish will become one and they will share one bloodstream. Now, how many of you just think that's the grossest thing you've heard in a long time? Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Here's what I know the anglerfish is not doing. They are not battling over authority. They are not battling over rights and roles. The pursuit is unity. And in an unusual way, this is one of the things Paul is doing in Ephesians 5. He is saying the pursuit is not a role. The pursuit is not authority. The pursuit is not my rights. The pursuit is unity. And in unity, we display what Jesus has done for the church, what the head and the body do for each other. It is the union and the unity that happens with a husband and wife. And when that unity is achieved, when we're focusing more on unity than anything else, then we become a greater tool to share Jesus with the world. When we are unified, a unified marriage is a great way to share Jesus in a me-centered world. So I wanna give you some closing questions to think about and to wrestle with this week. Number one, wives, how can you encourage your husband this week? This is where we're gonna take that phrase, that sentence, I'm proud of you because, and every time you are, you express it. Husbands, how can you show love for your wife this week. And master that sentence, I love you because, and every time you think anything good, you express it. And then finally, if you are not married, who can you speak words of life into this week because we are reminded that from our tongue we carry life and death. Unity. It turns out Jesus God the Father, 
and God the Holy Spirit have this beautiful union and they invite us in to remain in him. And when we remain in him and find life in him, then we can lay down with our other relationships in a unified way for his glory and we display and model who he is. I know there are some of us who are here today who have been divorced and uh, maybe you're going through a a season where you felt that union for a season that you don't, you no longer feel that. Some of you I know are here today and you've recently lost a spouse where you had that union and you no longer have that today. And I just wanna pray with you and for you because what we see from John 15, five is that idea of remaining in him our only source of life. And I pray you find that life in him again. So I would like to close today by praying for our marriages and for our future marriages. And so would you stand with me as I lead us in prayer? Father, today... First, I just want to thank you for your love, for your goodness, for your presence here. Lord, thank you for being enough, for being a source of life for everyone in this room, and for being the only one who can satisfy us. Well, there is only one relationship that can meet our needs. Oh, and it's you. So Lord, I pray that you'll give hope in this room to those who are single, to those who are married. And for those of us who are married, I pray you help us believe that we can have new marriages again with the same person because of the transforming power of your Holy Spirit. And more than anything, Father, we know that we can receive life when we are attached to the vine. So we just wanna say thank you. God, thank you for your faithfulness throughout history, throughout different cultures, throughout different challenges, throughout different opposition historically. You just continue to be faithful. And here we are in 2022 with whatever we're battling today and you show up again being faithful. God, you are transcendent to whatever we are experiencing and may we rest in who you are. May we see you and anchor our security in you, I pray, for your glory in your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.